We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mr. Roberts, let's dive into our mailbag. And we have a big super chat from Edwin Hooten. Edwin says, no real question. I just normally contribute one time a month. Edwin, we greatly appreciate that one time a month too, my friend. Uh, really, really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Kay Grant, Brian with my favorite shirt. And Ryan, there is no doubt that he is a gap closer type of player. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could argue that Notre Dame doesn't have a gap to close at tight end. I get that. So maybe he's one of those guys that's maybe a bit of a gap widener. But I, I do think that once Mayer left, the the rooms flipped a little bit for Georgia and and, and uh Notre Dame. I'm not I mean, yeah. just being honest, when you look at the current roster compared to Georgia, Notre Dame has a very good tight end roster. It's an experience and they got to prove themselves, et cetera, et cetera. But just God given ability, it's a very talented room. If Eli Raritan wasn't injured and didn't have two ACL injuries in the course of a 12 month period, I might feel a little different but that's a that's a legitimate concern but so I do think that if if the gap is being back to being the best tight end room in all of college football I do think there's a small small little gap and a guy like Nate Roberts and uh, Carter Nelson a guy like Nate Roberts closes that and if yeah. you get Carter Nelson it's it's okay it's done you're back on top so yes. congratulations you're back on top and uh you know so but yeah I, I had to rock this shirt today man I it was funny is because um I, I thought I had some laundry done that, that I that I didn't actually get done. So I had a couple. So I was like, I don't know if I have any gap shirt, closer shirts yet. But my wife had put some clothes away that I had done. So what I do is when I when I clean all my because I have a million IB shirts, right? You know that. And like sometimes I'm like, did you wear the same shirt three days? And I'm like, no, it's the same design, but it's three different shirts. So when I do them, I hang them up in the laundry room. And so my wife had taken them all and put them in the in in my spare in our spare like our guest room, our reading room where I hang all my clothes because of course my wife takes all the closet space in our, in our bedroom. And I was like, Oh no, I'm out of shirts. <laughs> so it's like, Oh, thank God she hung them up. So I did, I was able to find in the closet a gap closer shirt because today is definitely one of those days, Ryan. I mean, forget the fact of the position and all those type of things. This is the kind of kid you look at and say, this is the needle moving type of pickup that just overall town of the roster 
get you closer and closer and closer to the to the Georgias, the Bamas, and the teams like that. There's no doubt. And and I think that he's a contender to be the top tight end in the 2025 class. So, I mean, is there more definition of a gap closer than that? I mean, we're talking about a, potentially getting the best player out of position in the country. Like, I think that Nate Roberts is that type of talent. So, yes, agree. He is a gap closer in a vacuum in the entirety of what the roster is right now because – Losing Michael Mayer is a big blow, obviously. Like, everybody knows that. He's one of the best, if not the best, tight end to ever play at the University of Notre Dame. He's in that conversation. So losing him is a big is a big attrition to that room, a big loss, obviously. So continuing to bolster it with talents of Nate Roberts' caliber, potentially of Carter Nelson's caliber, if they're able to close, it matters. And it, it matters a lot moving forward here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And just so people know, we're not dropping hints about Carter Nelson. We're not like he's committed and we're just – they need to close on him. They have not done so yet. game Georgia battle. Yeah, Right. They did a great job during the official visit. They're still closing to be done. So I don't want you guys to think that we're trying to drop hints like, oh, Carter's definitely coming to Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame did a great job, a great job during the visit. But there's closing to be done there. And there's there's an angle to sell there. So I just want to make sure because sometimes, you know, we'll – We'll drop some hints. You know, we're not going to take a kid's moment. But, but you know, if, if you've been watching our show long enough, you, you start to pick up on things. That's not what we're doing with Carter Nelson right now. It's genuinely saying that's how important he is to really just solidifying this, this tight end room and really taking your offensive recruiting to that final level. 
and this kid, obviously, Nate Roberts is a is a big part of that. We have another super chat, Ryan, that I think is um, is kind of touches on what what we talked about earlier. But let's dive into more specifics here. And this is from Rob Osgood. He says, guys, if he selects Notre Dame, how would you use Nate Roberts in your offense? Obviously, he did pick Notre Dame. Rob, thank you for the super chat. Rob got that in before the show started. But now that he's in the class, Ryan, and we talked a little about how you move him around, specifically yeah. from a, from attacking the defense standpoint, we did the formational stuff, outside slot and all that, getting into a little bit of how you would use him in the pass game uh, when once he finally gets to Notre Dame. So let's let's break that down, Ryan. Well, I think he's a little bit of a movable chess piece. This is the kind of guy that I would quantify Rob as a – he's a matchup dictator, right? Like he's a guy that I'm going to put in line at times. I'm also going to put it wing at times, motion across, because I want to try to manipulate a defense in order to get the best possible matchup I can. Because I think that a linebacker one-on-one against this kid is just stealing. I mean, one – I think working against zone coverage just in general, this kid is going to be incredible because I think he has a really good understanding of where to attack. But I think when you're trying to dictate matchups, you're trying to create one-on-one matchups, right? You're trying to t- create man-to-man matchups. And linebackers on the second level are not – are very few are going to be able to match 6-4 plus, 4-6 something in the 40-yard dash with the body control that he has in the passing game. So I'm trying to dictate those matchups – on the second level. And then there are also always going to be times where maybe I line up in a certain formation and I motion him out to play in the slot because it, that will also get me a one-on-one match of attention with the safety, potentially with the linebacker, but possibly with a safety or a nickel as well. So I really think that this kid is a matchup dictator, no matter where you put him on, on the field. But I really think that he is the versatility he has is the guy that I want to move around. So I really want to create matchups with motion, with trading, with different formations. So he's a tight end. He's a true in-line guy, but he's also a guy that can do a variety of things. He's a matchup dictator. I think you nailed that, Ryan. I think you have to be able to say we're going to have to. If his game continues to progress the way that it does, he's a guy that a lot like Michael Mayer differently, but just as far as philosophically, you have to know where he is all the time. You have to have an answer for him. And when you can have a tight end, we saw this. I think Georgia did this very well. Notre Dame would have done this with a better quarterback the last this last year. But we saw it in 2021, I, I feel, where when you have a tight end that's that, that forces teams to say, we got to f- have an answer for him on every play, it puts you into some really tough spots at the receiver position. And it allowed Georgia's receivers to maybe make more plays than their talent would otherwise dictate as often as they did. I think we saw this in 2021 as well, Ryan, where you know Kevin Austin was getting one-on-ones all day against teams yeah. because you couldn't you couldn't take care of him. You had to worry about Michael Mayer. It left Braden Lindsay later in the season when he started to break out. It's why you started to see. You know, you had some big plays out of the backfield, you know, with Kyron, and you think of the the wheel route to Chris Tyree because you're you're focused on where Michael Mayer is all the time. You know, Deion Colsey coming into a game and catching a 30-yard post route because their three guys ran with Michael Mayer and the inside just opens wide up for the post route. So I think that we would have seen that more this year, Ryan. And I think if if a if a coach will sit down with a tight end, he'll show him, hey, look at look at how these guys were open if you're a receivers coach, because of how teams focus on Michael Mayer. You want to make sure you continue that moving forward, and right. guys like uh, guys like Nate Roberts bring that type of ability to where, especially Ryan. And, and look, 
it's great to have an out, a tight end that can line up outside like Tyler Eifert did and, and Kyle Pitts did. But I'm not going to lie. For me personally, I like having that as an option. But I need to have a tight end that I can line up in the slot, in a wing, attached, and say you have to account for him because what that does is from a pass game standpoint, it forces me to conden- it forces you to condense your alignments and be focused here. And if you're focused here, you can't be as locked in out there. And if you're recruiting the kind of talent, the big play talent, like the Braylon Jameses, the Cam Williamses, the Isaiah Canyons, the guys that are that are true vertical players, that second too long staying here means that post route's now getting over top of your head. And those are the things that a tight end like this can bring to the table where he's making an impact even if if he's not getting the ball. That's the one thing I, 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 I wish we could have seen more of with having Michael Mayer here. It's not Michael Mayer's fault. It's not necessarily receiver's fault either. Receiver position was a problem at times last year. Got way better by the end of the year. But just the way the offense was being run, it, it never allowed it. But that's the kind of impact that this guy can bring. We saw that with Tyler Eifert in 2012. I mean, Tyler Eifert's numbers in 2012 when he won the Mackey Award weren't nearly as good as his numbers in 2011. Well, why was that? When 2011, teams weren't focused on Tyler Eifert. They were trying to figure out how the heck do we stop Michael Floyd, who had 100 <laughs> catches that year, right? And so it was a bit of a reverse. So Tyler Eifert goes out and has 63 catches for 803 yards. Then you look at him in 2012 and he had 50 catches for 685 yards. But you're like, the impact he had on the game, though, was huge because teams had to defend him. And that's why TJ went out and had a big jump in production. DeVaris Daniels was able to have a, a really good first year back. Theo Riddick was able to make a lot of plays out of the backfield because had 36 catches that year because teams were, again, were focused on trying to stop Tyler Eifert. And and this kid has that ability. So it, it, it man, you just love it. you get excited. I'm starting to get excited because I'm an offensive coach and I'm starting thinking about like what I can do with a tight end that can do the things that this kid can do. You start getting pretty fired up, man. There's no doubt about it. I, I want to address something else real quick here, Ryan. Uh, Bass yeah. Bass and Domer Bass and Domer uh, said, did Nate Roberts silently commit? If so, when? Not really. Uh, so anytime a kid commits, but he's going to announce it another time, I guess that's technically a silent commitment. But I don't view that as a silent commitment. It's I've committed to you, and now I just got to announce how I'm going to do it. It wasn't like a silent commitment to me is more of a I'm going to silently commit to you, but I'm still I'm still doing this, or I have some other things I need to figure out, or I'm going to take some more visits. I don't view this as a silent commitment. He announced for the Notre Dame staff recently, and then it was just about okay, how do I announce it? And they just you know he decided to do it on two four seven Sports. So. I guess you could call that a silent commitment. I don't view it as such. Once he made his decision, recruiting was over for him. And right. I think that to me is more of a of a true that's just a commitment. Yeah. Not, you know, and and the silent commitment world. is different. Yeah. 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 Especially so. in today's world where everything needs to be announced. So right. Right. So it's it's kind of funny. It's like how it's changed. I, I remember it was a 2011 class, Ryan. You know, I'm I'm just sitting down at the table. And I'm going through all my list of guys, and I just call up DeVaris Daniels, and I'm just like, hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? He's like, oh, hey. How? He's like, yeah, I just got a phone with Coach so-and-so. I just committed another name. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I just committed another name. I was like, uh, can I report that? He's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> it's just like no thought of getting on Twitter. I don't even know. Was Twitter even a thing in, back then? This is back in 2010. Was it even a so. thing back then? I don't think so. So nah. it was just like, so you would actually like – you would back then would break commitments. Now you don't really do that because, you know – it's you, the kids are going to do it on some social media or announcement. And that's, I'm fine with that. I mean, it, it's their moment. Right. And so 
I, I do think it is kind of cool to be for them to be able to do that. Although it does take away our ability to kind of show that we're on top of things and breaking stories and all that kind of stuff. But uh, this, this is a, this is a good, this has been done for about a week, Ryan. Yeah. About yeah. a week, I believe. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it's, so I just wanted to address that real quick. We have another super chat from Charlie Weiss's last, last belt loop. Thank you, Charlie. He says, isn't it crazy how much better the offensive recruiting has been since Freeman took over? I hope defense starts catching up. Please get Carter, Jared Parker. That is the funny thing, right? Recruiting was very good early, though. It was very good early, but yeah. Well, since Marcus Freeman's become head coach, it's not been as good as the offense. I I, I don't I don't think that I mean I mean initially it was though, because you had Peyton Bowen and you had Keon Keely. Keon was already committed. Here's my point. Like Keon, some of those guys were already committed. Like Keon was already committed. Brennan Vernon was already committed. Drake Bowen was already committed. So like some of your best players last year's class were already committed. And and my point is, it's not that they haven't done a good job defensively recruiting, but remember where the offensive class was when Marcus Freeman <laughs> took over. So that's partly it too. You already had some guys committed. I think that some people, I said this yesterday, I think there's some overreactions to the defensive class. It's got to get better. It's got to finish strong. There's one position for sure I'm freaking out a little bit about. There's another position I'm like, I'm concerned, but let's see how you finish with Justin Scott. But I think the thing is, is the offensive recruiting has taken a huge jump. And I don't even look at that as an insult to the defense. I think it just shows what you can do at Notre Dame when you have hardworking, quality recruiting coaches at almost every spot. Yep. And you don't even have a good product to sell yet, Ryan. That's the crazy thing about it. You don't have a good offense to put on the fields. Hey, guys, look what we did at such and such. Tight ends you kind of do with your recent history. But you are not signing – you did not sign last year's freshman class. And you do not have commitments from Cam Williams, Isaiah Canyon, and Micah Gilbert because they watched your offense in 2022 and said, I want to play in that. You know what I mean? And that's the really impressive part about it. You could say maybe running back, Right. You know, tight end for sure, O line, but like the skill positions, they're 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 buying into Notre Dame, and that's what kind of gets you excited because this is what you and I have always believed, Ryan, and I've been trumpeting long, long, long time. Recruiting at Notre Dame is hard. It is. I've never said that, but it's not nearly as hard as that previous coaching staffs have made it out to be. Charlie Weiss showed that, and then. Marcus Freeman's offensive staff is showing that. And then Marcus Freeman showed that as the defensive coordinator, right? I mean, in a very short period of time, completely changed around the fortunes of the defense on the defensive side of the ball. So you can do it if you hire the right people. And that, that's always been the thing. And I, I started thinking about, man, if they put a good product on the field this year, what is the rest of the – you just started your class off with Nate Roberts. If they put a good product on the field, Ryan – What's this offensive class going to look like? You got to get kind of fired up about that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got great potential. Obviously, it tangibly needs to work because 2025 is not going to just work off of promises and upside, right? It's right. You tangibly have to see some results now, which will be big for this fall. You can get away with it if you're Jared Parker to a degree because you haven't called a game yet, to your point. But once the 2023 season is over, that's gone. You are now what you showed on the field. Yep. And uh, I'm, ex- I'm actually, that's something I'm excited about <laughs> in my opinion. Jordan Schreiber says, uh, thank you for the question, Jordan. So will Jack Larson play a Tommy Trumbull like role? 
as far as where you align him on the field, yeah, to a degree. I mean, Tommy spent a whole lot of time as a wing. He spent some time even as fullback. I don't know if Jack's a guy that you're going to play fullback all the time, but, I mean, he's going to play wing a little bit. He's going to play out in the slot. So there are some similar-ish things, but it's not a direct one-to-one for me, Jordan. I think there's a lot of a, a lot of similarities into how they're using the run game. Because the thing with Tommy Trumbull is I, I, Jack is not as powerful as Tommy is right now, but I think Jack is going to end up being a really good blocker. But you have to use him correctly. You have to let him get leverage. You have to let him get some movement at times. And that's why I, I like the wing, letting him be. He's going to be really – where I think Jack could have an impact too is, is Ryan is, you know, being a guy that comes back on split zone, you know, coming to the back zone on split zone, lining up. Not so much a fullback, but get him moving into motion and then just let him immediately, boom, kick out or seal that that edge player. I think he's going to be pretty good at that early on. And as he gets stronger and stronger and stronger, I love the effort he shows in the run game. He just has to get stronger. And and that was kind of how Tommy was as a young player as well. So I think how they're used in the run game could be similar from an alignment standpoint once Jack gets, gets stronger. Where I think they're different is in the pass game. Tommy was a fast, vertical player that didn't have great hands. Jack is a, a, a really good route runner with arguably the best ball skills of any tight end in the 2024 class. He doesn't have the athleticism and the size of the Carter Nelsons and the, the Jaden Riddells and the guys like that. But as far as just pure God-given catching ability and and you know, high pointing the football and being able to make plays and, you know, while absorbing contact, being held, whatever his fault. I mean, some of the catches he makes, Ryan, where he's lit, there's literally like a hand up in his face and he just kind of looks through it and reaches his hand around and makes the catch. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really impressive. He's going to be in college, a, a guy that you is just going to love on third down, right? Yes. Like, Oh, he caught seven yard pass guys. Yeah. But it was third and six and he just got open and made the play. That's where I think Jack Larson's not getting appreciated enough. No, he's not Michael Mayer. He's not Tyler Eifert. He's not a guy that's going to run, you know, a bunch of go routes on the outside. But that's a kid that's going to make a lot of money plays if he gets a chance to work into the rotation because he's a really good route runner. And his ball skills are outstanding. And that's going to be something that you can play. I mean, we saw that for Michael Mayer this year, Ryan. How many times did Michael Mayer make catches when he was covered? Right. And and Jack will do it on different type of routes and routes in a different way, but that's that's what he projects to be able to do. And that's that's what I like about him and why I think he's getting slept on a little bit by some Notre Dame fans, in my opinion. Yep. Just a little bit. I agree. Sorry. No, go keep going. Oh no, that's all just a little bit was all I was gonna say. Yep. Here's a super chat from Nathan Milton, Ryan. I'm not sure since you were on paternity leave if you were able to stay to 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 find out anything new at Deuce, but uh, Nathan wants to know if there's any update on uh, Deuce Knight. Not, not as much, Nathan. I mean, it's this is one of those situations where Deuce has been pretty adamant that he wants to make a decision sometime over the next few weeks. Like, but you know, it's I think that we'll see if that gets slowed down, if that stays on trajectory or not. Notre Dame's still in a good spot. I still think that they are up in the top of the list with Tennessee, Ole Miss, Notre Dame. Like, I still think that that is the top three for Deuce Knight. It's just about clearly defining the timeline as far as getting a full understanding of, well, when is that date exactly, Deuce? And when is the kind of the cutoff for making your final pitch? Because I think Notre Dame's in a good spot with Deuce, but you are battling, obviously, a couple SEC schools, and for a kid that is a Southern kid playing, obviously, in the state of Mississippi. So that's where you kind of are at the moment. 
We uh, Andre Tunsil says, do you remember how Stanford used their tight ends about seven years ago? The past concepts are great, but not fast. Notre Dame tight ends are fast and athletic. They're certainly trending in that direction. That's certainly true. I think Holden Stace runs very well. Eli Raritan is fast. I think Nate Roberts has that. That's also partly why you know Carter Nelson is important too, Ryan, because I think he adds a big burst of speed to your yes. offense. Cooper Flanagan's more of a traditional tight end. I think Jack Larson's, as I mentioned, is more of a short to intermediate type of guy, more of a volume pass catcher type of player. Uh, but yeah, these these Carter Nelson would be a guy that adds a lot of that. Eli Raritan has that. Holden Stace runs pretty well, and of course Nate Roberts does that as well. I I do want to bring this up, Ryan, and, and get your take on it. I am very curious to see if Jared Parker expands how the tight ends are used in this offense, because I do think there, 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 there have been times in the past. We saw this with Stanford uh, to a degree, although they didn't always, they would, they would have multiple tight ends make plays, but other than like 2012 with Ertz and uh, Tololo, they didn't always have two tight ends making a bunch of plays. You had Fleener and, and Ertz in 2011, 2010, but you know, seven years ago was not that time. They, they would play a lot of guys. But I think when you go back and look at the end of the Harbaugh era and then the first year or two of the Shaw era, their ability to get production from multiple tight ends, and we're now seeing Georgia doing that at tight end, I think that's something for me that's been missing at Notre Dame that I would like to see be a, be added to that, where you're able to go, in, and I don't need your number two tight end to catch 30 balls. I'm not necessarily saying that, but to where if you let's just say Mitchell Evans is your number one, you need teams to be able to either a have to account for your number two, whether it's Holden Stace or Eli Raritan or down the road with a Cooper Flanagan, Jack Larson, Nate Roberts, Carter Nelson, whoever you need them to have to be aware of your number two tight end. Or if they're not, you need to make them pay for not paying attention to it. And I feel like that's been something that Notre Dame has just been kind of giving away and not utilizing for too long. And I'd love to see that change here in, in, in moving forward under Jared Parker. What are your thoughts? I mean, on it's, that, it's a, it's a strength that Notre Dame has on the roster as far as always having quality depth at tight ends. So it's a, it's an easy one, right? Like, I mean, I, I think that for me, it's, you can create so many mismatches with the tight end personnel you have, especially because they're all incredibly different. So they're not guys that all go and fit into the, same cloth into the same box. There are guys that can be very versatile with how you use them. So yes, I think that there are opportunities, especially in the passing game where you can have multiple tight end looks and be able to really take advantage of one-on-one matchups. And you now have guys that athletically will be able to win one-on-one just about whenever you need them to, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have guys coming in the Jack Larson's and the, and the Nate Roberts and maybe Carter Nelson's and those guys will be able to take advantage of one-on-one matchups in most situations. And that's a key attribute you have, but regardless, that is a thing that Notre Dame should always live off of is is the ability to use multiple tight ends because that is a strength that they always have. And you need to steer into the strength. Notre Dame is never going to have a problem recruiting the tight end position. They should never have problems. Unless they have a coach that needs to be fired. Right. I mean, right. Right. I mean, the only way that they have a problem recruiting tight end is if they have a coach who shouldn't be at Notre Dame anymore. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Or you can't get a tight end in a year because you just signed three phenomenal tight end classes in a row. I mean, but yes, to your point, you and it's not 
Here's the thing, Ryan, that, that you hit on that I think is smart. And I want to clarify what I think you mean. You can correct me if it's not looking at this particular roster and saying, boy, you have a, it's you've got to know what you can recruit and build your offense around present and future and yeah. say, we are a school that can recruit this position consistently and this position consistently. So whatever we do to create our offense, we have to make sure that these things are focal points. And then if we happen to go out and get a, a lot of have a lot of success at running back. If we happen to have a lot of success at receiver and these other positions, that's going to make us unstoppable. But our our offense has to be able to utilize this to a high degree because we can we can recruit this at a high level. And and I think that they've done that at tight end with the number one guy and then the number two and three guys in the run game, but not carrying that over into the pass game has been a limiting thing for Notre Dame. And so I'm glad to hear that you and I are on the same page on that. Absolutely. Raymond Eves says, where does Notre Dame stand with 2025 recruit Dorian Brew? They put in a lot of great work with Dorian early. So I think they're in a good spot with him, Raymond. I I think that the one thing that is going to be interesting to watch is that Ohio State was a little late to offer Dorian, but obviously he's an Ohio kid and there is a deep understanding of Buckeyes. So if you ask me today who are Dorian's top two schools – I would say it's Notre Dame and Ohio State. Those are the two Mm -hmm. schools for me. So Notre Dame has put themselves in a good battle here. Obviously, you need to go into the state of Ohio and beat an Ohio kid for, you know, that Ohio State is now pushing for. But Notre Dame has done a lot of great work early on, obviously, in this situation. So I think Notre Dame has positioned themselves probably as the top two school, top two school for Dorian Brew right now between Notre Dame and Ohio State. It's just about staying consistent. I think the only question with Dorian Brew right now is where you, where do you want to play him? Yeah. I could see him being a receiver. I could see him being a big corner like Cam Hart. I could see him being a safety. And that's one of the things I love about him, Ryan, is the fact that he brings so much for depending on what he wants to play. I could I would be one to recruit him for three different positions. Two on defense and one on offense. And I love kids like that because he may want to recruit. He, let's just say hypothetically, and I don't know the answer to this, Ryan. You'd probably know better than me. I think he, I think he right now prefers defense, right? Yeah. yeah. So you recruit him for corner right now. And he decides in a year, you know, he commits to, and he decides in a year, man, I, I want to play receiver. All right, cool. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, hey, coach, I'm 215 now. I want to play safety. All right, cool. Let's do it. I mean, he's that kind of guy, Ryan, where he he literally, to me, projects as a Notre Dame caliber player at three positions. And when you have a kid like that, you got to get him. You got to go get guys like that. And I, he's one of my favorite recruits in 2025. Absolutely one of my favorite recruits. And that's a big part of it right there is that versatility. Guys like that are rare. They're even more rare in when they're two and a half hours away from you. You know, right. and so yeah, I know it's in state, but you got to try your best to 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 beat the Buckeyes for that one. It'd be a nice, very, very nice pull. Here's one from uh, Sam Hartman, 10 for Heisman. Who are the candidates for the next 25 commit? Ryan, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Just kind of rehash some of the guys that, that I wouldn't say, let's say, let's not say necessarily the next to commit, but who do we think is the next crop of guys that Notre Dame is in the best position with? Yeah, best position for obviously Nate was a part of that conversation on Friday, but now we're we're done with there. I think that if Notre Dame takes a second tight end, I think they're in a good spot with James Flanagan. I think they're in a good spot with Owen Strebig at offensive line. I also believe that they are in a pretty good spot with a couple defensive players, CJ May. I, I think that defensive back wise, they are 
they're in a they're in a really good spot with Cree Thomas out of out of Brophy Prep out obviously in Arizona, the same high school as Benjamin Morrison. So Cree Thomas, I think a couple of the Chicago edges you're in a good spot with early on. Christopher Burgess of the world, CJ May, Owen Streebig, I think you're in a really good spot with him as it currently stands. And you know, it's just about obviously closing for a lot of those guys because you're in you put yourself in some really good situations early on in this class, and you really need to continue to obviously push. James Flanagan, Justin Thurman at running back, some guys that Notre Dame is Deuce Knight that we, that we just mentioned. Like you're in a good spot with a few of those guys. Did you mention Rowan Byrne? I did not. No. Yeah, I mean, you Rowan mentioned Byrne. him yesterday. That's why I'm yeah. just trying to remember if you he. I mean, when the kid tells you that's his dream offering, <laughs> that's a pretty, <laughs> a pretty good one. I think yesterday you also mentioned uh, Anthony Saka is a guy that yeah. Notre Dame's doing a good job with. Penn State's going to be yeah. tough there. His dad played quarterback at Penn State, but there's an Al Golden connection there. So they're, they're doing really well in 25, Ryan. I, sure. I I would be – I don't want to load up too fast in 25, but they're – normally I'd say, man, I don't want – I don't really want more than five or six commits in the, in the sophomore class until they're done with their junior years. That's normally where I'm at. This 25 class is a little different, Ryan, because it's such a talented class. There's kids like you mentioned. The Nate Roberts one is a perfect example. There's the fear that, well, what if this kid doesn't get any better? Yeah. Well, okay, fine. (laughs) Like if all Nate Roberts does the next two years is just get stronger. Like you said, that's still a top 100 football player. And you even said, I think, top 50 football player. I did. But he's still easily a top 100 football player. And and so – that's kind of there's just a lot of guys like that, right? Like like that they're a little advanced, but they're just so talented that you're like, man, like how can I not take this guy right now? Like, how how can you not take X this player, this player, this player? So it's uh it's a it's a unique situation for Notre Dame to be in. It really is. But they're almost done with 24, which is really what's helped putting them in a position where even though there's gonna still work to be done in 24. Ryan, I mean, most of the guys that have they've had more twenty five kids visit in June than twenty four kids. Oh yeah, which is wild. Yeah, you know, and uh, definitely different than where it used to be. But they're really grinding in the twenty five class, man, in in a good way. Got uh, Ico five says there is a lot of excitement this season. Do you think teams are a little nervous about what Notre Dame could be this year? Yes, Ryan, you and I have talked about this before. Teams know what happens if Notre Dame goes out and wins big. They know. Why do you think that teams gang up on Notre Dame so much when Notre Dame's in it with the big boys for a recruit? Ryan, you've you've learned this, I believe, during your brief time covering recruiting, and you'll learn it even more, and I've learned this over the years. I have seen Florida and Florida State gang up on Notre Dame knowing that they may lose him to their rival but they would rather lose a kid to their rival than a kid go from Florida up to Notre Dame and thrive yeah. because they know those things will start opening up pipelines. If Notre Dame wins, if Notre Dame competes for a championship and kids realize I can go to the NFL, I can play for a championship and I can get that degree. We keep telling y'all there's a lot more kids out there that care about that than you think. People mm-hmm. have been spinning this BS for a long time Oh, just top players don't want to get educated. No, top players don't want to go to a school with crap facilities and a history of losing, which is basically what Notre Dame was for a long time, and a coaching staff that doesn't work and doesn't do all those type of things. Those were Notre Dame coaching problems, not you-can't-recruit-kid problems. And I've always pushed back on that. And every time that Notre Dame has shown success in the field 
or had a head coach and a coaching staff that worked in recruiting, they've recruited very well. And Charlie Weiss had two top five caliber classes in a row with coming off of a three and nine season. And so I've, I've always felt that. And I think teams are very concerned about that. They know that it's a, it's a problem. If Notre Dame goes out there and wins, that it's going to make it very hard to negatively recruit against Notre Dame. And especially if those wins include victory, especially if that winning record in the playoff and stuff like that includes win over the big boys. And that's the one thing lacking. Notre Dame has won a lot of games in recent years, but they don't have the big game wins. They don't have the ACC title game win over Clemson. They got whooped that game. They got whooped by Clemson in 2018. They got whooped by Alabama in 2020 in the, in the big games. They beat LSU twice, but those were in you know years where LSU wasn't a vintage LSU football team. And so I think those are areas where if Notre Dame can kind of knock down that big door, teams know there, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble because Notre Dame is a unique animal, and that's the last thing that they they want to happen. And and that's been something that I've experienced and known for a very long time. Joe Medina asks, how many tight ends is Notre Dame shooting for in the 24 and 25 class? Obviously, they're looking for a second tight end in 24 if it's Carter Nelson. I don't know. Honestly, Joe, I don't, I don't have clarity right now on who they're going to get at tight end in 25 other than Nate Roberts, if they're going to take a second, I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they won't. I'm saying I, I don't have clarity on that right now. And so I don't want to speak to that. I do know uh, that, um, uh, sorry, real quick. I have a little bit of a, a emergency. So uh, yeah, do what you got to do, Ryan. So um, I do think that there's an issue. If you, if you look at it, it's, I think it depends, a lot depends on, do you get Carter Nelson? Then it's a no brainer. You take a second tight end. What I don't know is will they take a second tight end if they, if they get Nelson? I, I don't know. And and again, please be clear. I'm not saying I doubt that they do. I'm saying I literally don't know. I have literally not gotten feedback on that answer. I probably would two reasons why I personally would Joe. Number one, it's a loaded tight end class. I, how do you say no to like James Flanagan and some of these guys that are in the class? It's like, man, these guys are too good to let them go somewhere that we might have to be playing against them. Number one. Number two, just the realities of the modern transfer portal are such that you can't guarantee, even at a place like Notre Dame, that your roster is going to be in the in the next couple of years what it is right now at that position. And so especially when you're talking about a current sophomore class, for me – I really would have to look into a situation where I'd say, "Hey, we're going we're going to load up here. We're absolutely going to load up here and uh, and really try to build build around that." All right, let's get to some more questions here. So, so Ryan has to go. Just so you guys know, there was a little bit of a family emergency, so please keep Ryan in in your prayers as he heads back to that. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna work through some of these questions that I have here now. But uh, I'm not gonna I'm probably not gonna be able to add a whole lot of new questions uh, to that. Uh, outside of super chats because I've it's just they're on different pages and and things like that. So uh, vanilla chill asked about twenty five quarterbacks. Uh, I'll tell you what that that's something I'm still trying to get an answer on. I do like where Notre Dame is at right now with twenty five quarterbacks as far as where they are with Deuce Knight. I, I th- here's my stance on Deuce. I think Notre Dame is in a great position with Deuce. I think Deuce loves Notre Dame. Me personally, I just have a little bit of a fear of of you know, are you really going to get a kid from Mississippi? So I'm a little bit in the I'll believe it when I see it mode kind of thing. But I, I do think he likes Notre Dame a lot. 
Bear Bachmeyer, Carter Smith is another guy. For me, I would not rush into taking another quarterback if you don't get Deuce. I, I don't feel the need to to panic and get a guy this early. It's a deep quarterback class. I'd say let things fill out, and I'd still keep recruit, recruiting. If he's a guy that you love, if him and K.J. Lacey and guys like that are guys that you love, be willing to stay on them. You don't need another quarterback right now. And and so I would say, hey, maybe wait and get through the season, see how certain guys progress, and then go from there. Let's get to a couple more here real quick. Uh, Irish Trending says, could you give your confidence uh, for landing each player, 1-10, to 10, on Kingston Viliama Asa? Well, I'll tell you what, coming into the visit, I'm at like a six. I think that Ohio State is a, is a great position there. I think USC absolutely did a phenomenal job with him on their visit last weekend. They went from not being really a major player to they're going to be a major player now. But this is Notre Dame's chance, and I, and I really feel like deep down there's just something about Notre Dame that Kingston loves. The question is, is will it be enough to get him to kind of turn down the football aspects of some other schools? income to Notre Dame. This is their shot. We'll have a much better feel for it after this weekend, but you know, this is their shot. If they're coming out of this weekend tied with like Ohio state, for example, and he goes to Ohio state next weekend, I'll get nervous. If you come out of this sucker with the lead, it's a lot easier to hold on to that than it is to, 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 to do the opposite. So uh, I'm at five or six with him. Justin Scott, I said yesterday, I'm, I'm actually at a seven surprisingly confident now, I also think he may commit somewhere else. He it would not shock me if he commits to Miami this weekend or, you know, in the next couple of weeks commits to Miami. Wouldn't shock me at all. Notre Dame's not going, giving up on him. I just feel like he's going to stay in the North. I do. And so with that being said, I think Notre Dame would be the school, the Northern school that would, would get him if that were to happen. It's not going to be easy. And, and I'm not, I mean, seven is, is the highest I'm willing to go, but I, I like where they're at there. Uh, Bradley Shaw. Irish trending, I'm, I'm going to give you a TBD on that one because with Bradley Shaw, it depends on what happens with Kingston. If you get Kingston, I think you're done at linebacker. I, I don't know that you take a fourth linebacker. If you don't get Kingston, then my my opinion on Bradley Shaw goes way up. I'd be curious to know if they would maybe take four. Uh, that's something I'd be very curious about, honestly, is when you look at your current depth chart, you only have two guys left from the year before. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I'd consider taking a fourth. I would. I, I really would. It, part of it would depend on where you are last year. But here's the thing about Bradley Shaw that makes this one tough. I don't know if you all have watched his film or not, but he's a really good football player. He's just not really big. He moves well. He runs well. Here, here's, here's if I could say, say, like he's built like a safety or a rover, but he plays like a Mike and a Will. And you have to ask yourself, like, is that really where you want to go? But uh I think he's a really good football player, and I'd I, I'd be okay if they took him and still got Kingston. I really would because I think it would help solidify the the numbers of the depth chart. I could live with that, and and you never know, like I said, what's going to happen with your current roster. You you never really know that, so I I would be okay doing that. I really would, but just you know, Bradley Shaw is a, is one of those kids that you've seen Notre Dame take before that he's a JD Bertrand. He's a Jack Kaiser type where he doesn't necessarily have the body of a big time linebacker, but man, his film is impressive and he runs well. So we'll see. I I'd personally, like I said, I'd be okay with that. I love his film. I just question the the body. Like can, does the, can the, and, and here's what that means here, here. So just to understand from an evaluation standpoint, you can love a kid's film and say, but I don't know if he can do that 
at the next level because of limitation A or B or C. So for him, it's not really an athletic limitation. It's more of a, is he big enough? Like I've heard people compare him to Tavon Coney and Tavon Coney was like maybe, maybe like 205, 210 as a sophomore. But by the time Tavon got the Notre Dame, he was 230. And I don't know if Bradley Shaw can get to 230 that quickly and, and carry it the way Tavon did. If Matt Bayless thinks he can, I'd go for him. Because again, the, he's a good linebacker. The film was impressive. It's just, it's just that size. That's my that's my only question. It's my only concern with him. Uh, Berkshire Yanks says material impact on Marshall Pritchett. I'm going to answer this one with similar to what I did earlier. I just don't know where they are right now with a second tight end. So without knowing what they're what they want to do, I can't say how it impacts Flanagan or. Pritchett or anybody else. So what I will, what I'll promise you is once I do get clarity on that, we'll talk about it and, and, and look at kind of, okay, here's what they do next. Here's the tight ends that they would look at. Here's why, or, or Hey, they're just, they're moving on to next year. Uh, once I get the answer to that, I'll let y'all know. Let's get to some more questions here, folks. Been a uh, bill Tunnell been a while since some, we got someone from, out of Oklahoma. What's who's the staff's recruiter for the region. They don't necessarily have a regional coach there per se. Like Dylan McCullough was out in Oklahoma this spring going to see Xavier Robinson. Jared Parker was out there. They don't have as much of the regional recruiting like they used to. If I had to guess based on who visited like in January and like the the first, some of the early visit periods, I would say probably Dylan McCullough based on him getting out and, and checking out some of the schools in that region would be my guess. And to Bill's point, I actually looked this up yesterday. I believe I'm correct on this. And if somebody else uh, knows that I'm incorrect, please point it out in the chat and, and I'll correct the record. But he, um, Matt Romine in the 07 class, offensive lineman from uh, from Tulsa, was the last tight end, the last offensive player, or excuse me, the last player that Notre Dame got out of Oklahoma. So it's been a while. Now, they, Notre Dame's had some players at Oklahoma now. If you all remember, if you're my age and you grew up watching the 87, 88, 89, 90, 90, 91, 92 teams, there were two guys named Tony Brooks and Reggie Brooks that were also Tulsa guys. They were from Booker T. Washington High School. So they were both Oklahoma guys. And, of course, Reggie had a phenomenal 1992 season. Is still a great ambassador of Notre Dame. So uh, those are – those are they've had some some success. Not a, like a lot, you know, not, not a um, – I can see if Lusa Moji wrote an article of this. See, best Notre Dame players from Oklahoma. You know, if there if somebody wrote about it, you know it would have been Lou. You know, Lou would have some on that if there is something. So, I'll see if I can can find something like that. But yeah, it was um, it, it's been a while. It's been certainly been a while for that one. David Lowe says Brian off topic, but do y'all think uh, do y'all think uh, CJ Carr will rise or drop after Elite Eleven? I honestly, David, don't have a clue. I don't. I don't know what the ranking services are going to do. And to be honest with you, I don't care. Uh, number one, if CJ went out and was the number one quarterback at the Elite 11, I would sit here and tell you, I don't think that should matter a ton. He He's not going to show you anything there that you haven't seen on film. And if you see something there that you don't see on film, that's, that's a problem. That's true of all quarterbacks. I'm a big fan of, of looking at what a guy does on film and there are certain things you can look at at these events, but these are pro days. I don't really care a whole lot. It's cool. It's fun. It's good to talk about, but I just don't get worked up about 
you know, who won it, who did. I, I care more about the perception of the win and what it would do for recruiting than I do what it means. If, oh, CJ Carr is all of a sudden better than I thought, or he's worse than I thought, or anything like that. I just don't really care, to be honest with you. So what are they going to do with this ranking? That I don't know. If they if they were honest, like if on three is honest, and I just – I don't know what Charles Powers' deal is, CJ Carr. I don't know if CJ said something about his mother. I don't, I don't have a clue. It's weird how he can watch CJ Carr and rank him lower than everybody else significantly lower, even people that don't like Notre Dame. You have to get to the point where you almost say there's some sort of issue there with him and CJ Carr. I don't know what it is, but there's some issue there. I I, I don't know how else to explain it. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm talking to people that I know know football, and they're like, he ripped it up here, and he did this, and he did that. And then you read this guy's evaluation, and he's like, ah, you know, just so you know that uh, CJ Carr took two sacks. And it's like, that's all your that's all your, your whole takeaway from his seven-on-seven? where he did what he did was he took two sacks or would have taken two sacks. It almost comes across as personal now. And that's not where you want to be as an evaluator. And, and I've said this, I don't think Charles Powers, who's the primary ranker of on three, I don't think he has a Notre Dame bias at all. I, I don't. I've said this before. There's several Notre Dame kids that are ranked higher on on three than anywhere else. And sometimes by a mile. When Charles Jagasaw was a five-star on on three, Sullivan Absher was ranked higher there than anywhere else. Keetron Young and Isaiah Canyon who are three stars by most other people are both top hundred guys on, on three. It's a, it's the thing with CJ is there's something there with him and CJ. And I don't know what it is. I, I really don't. It's bizarre. It's weird. And it's incredibly wrong and misguided. So I, I couldn't tell you what it is. I don't know the dude. And, and I appreciate the hard work it takes for like one guy basically to pump out rankings and you're going to get some wrong. But he's got some issues there with C.J. Carr that I just think are bizarre, and I really don't know what it is. But if he wants to have credibility, he needs to get over that. I don't care what you think about a player personally. You need to be able to evaluate fairly and honestly. And, um, yeah. And on and the other thing is if you're going to raise someone's ranking up to a five-star based on something they did with in pads or without pads on, I also would say you're – putting too much emphasis on events like this and that includes people like us like if cj if i had cj as a top 100 guy and he went out and won elite 11 and i bumped him up to a five-star you should guys you guys should be like why, why are you doing this there last i checked there's no pads on there's no pass rush there's nothing like that what what are you doing and you'd be correct in doing so all right bass and domer asks how many my best guess on how many more notre dame commits by the end of june public commits i think we'll see at least two more I think two is what I'll say confidently right now. Public commits. Yeah, two more public commits. Irish Mills 540. How does Nate Roberts compare to Michael Mayer as far as recruit, raw skills, potential, et cetera? I don't know what Mayer's ranking was at this point in time. They're different players. Mayer was always more of a, about physicality and being big. He was a quality athlete. He doesn't, he doesn't have the speed that Nate Roberts brings to the table. Michael was also very advanced. Michael was one of the most advanced tight ends I've ever seen. I mean, he was... As a junior in high school, he could have played college football. I mean, he was just a physical monster for a long time. If you all remember that fought his recruitment, he was an all-state middle linebacker as a junior and then moved to defensive end as a senior and was an all-state defensive end as a senior. So he was a big physical kid. Nate is not as strong as Michael was. Uh, he's, He's quicker and faster than Michael was. So they're a little bit different players. But I think how you use them in certain areas is going to be very similar, especially from an alignment standpoint. That's the thing that I had said to somebody yesterday is how you use Michael as far as the positions on the field, those are going to be very similar 
to how you use Nate Roberts. I think the route packages are going to be a little bit different. There's going to be some carryover, but there's some things that Michael did that you're just like, I'm not asking Nate Roberts to do that based on what he is right now. And then there's things that you're going to, if Nate Roberts continues to, to be what he is now, that you're going to ask him to do that you didn't ask, you're, you weren't going to ask Michael to do, or at least to the degree. So that's kind of where, I, where I'm at on that one. Good question. The, mil- the history expert asks, will there be a bold prediction hot take show as we get closer to the season? Because I've got a few already. Yeah, we will. Uh, that'll be part of our sort of our prediction show as we as it'll be kind of deeper into uh, fall camp as we get probably like a couple weeks before the season starts. Uh, we'll get into um, we'll get into, you know, we'll do our season prediction, go through the schedule, do all that stuff, predict the record, predict MVPs, all that stuff. And we'll have some bold predictions and hot takes and things like that around then. So, yeah, that'll definitely be something that we do. This year, expert also asked if Justin Scott continues on into the fall uncommitted. Does their name's chances increase? Uh, absolutely. In my opinion. Absolutely. Um we got a question here. Uh, could Notre Dame have a balanced offense like Georgia with an emphasis on consistent quarterback play and play calling for Jared Parker? Certainly it's possible. I mean, it, it, there's look, they've got a, a, a very good quarterback. I would, I would rather have Sam Hartman than Stetson Bennett personally, just individually talent around him might be different. That's just my opinion for a host of reasons. I think Notre Dame's got a, a running back room. That's talented. They've got a receiving core. That's talented. They've got a talented tight end room. They've got a talented offensive line. The question now is, Right now, Notre Dame's a lot about potential. The receivers have potential. The guards have potential. The running backs after Audric have potential. The the tight ends have potential. What you don't want to be using a lot of, and when you're explain, uh, describing a team, especially when you get in the season, you don't want to be using the word potential because potential means it's not a, it, you haven't achieved it yet. So this team has the potential to be really good. But why are you saying potential? Because they haven't been so yet. And that's how that's how it is right now. So are they able having a balanced offense? Yes. The thing I like about Georgia is they were a balanced offense. They were a very efficient offense. But from their efficiency, you created big play opportunities. So the fact that they could just stay in front of the chains, just constantly in front of the chains, uh, allowed them to then say, hey, we're getting in these really good second down situations and and you know, getting into good field position so we can take some of these shots where if we go incomplete, it's third and two. We trust our run game to be able to go move the chain still. We've got tight ends. We get the ball to on third down so we can take more chances. Notre Dame hasn't been a very efficient offense to where, you know, you you get into a first down situation where you throw an incomplete pass. You are really getting behind the sticks and now you're now you're in trouble. And I think that's where you're going to see them. Uh, I think be a lot better this year if some of these younger guys can go out there and and really start to step up and and turn that potential into production. That's going to be the key. The more of those guys with potential, the Deion Colseys, the Tobias Merriweathers, the Chris Tyrees, the the Jaden Greathouses, Braylon James, Rico Flores, Mitchell Evans, Eli Raritan, Holden Stace, Jadarian Price, Jeremiah Love. I mean, just Billy Shrouth, Rocco Spindler, just all just go down the line. There's a long list of kids on the Notre offense that have potential. Potential doesn't win you football games, production does. And once we stop using the word potential for Tobias and Dion and Tyree, that's when this offense takes off. And hopefully we get there. Hopefully we get there. 
Our next question is from Mark Avalon. Thank you, Mark. He says, has the transfer portal and quarterback recruiting hype system ended with what I remember Coach Holt saying, that if a quarterback did not work out or was lost, you brought two in two freshmen the next cycle? Uh, yeah, it has. I mean, just the way the way it is now, kids aren't at that position or not. I mean, if you look at the numbers, I don't believe there's any position that has a higher frequency of transfers than, than quarterback. Kids just don't want to wait anymore. And you're going to have a hard time bringing in two quarterbacks and then convincing them to both stay. I mean, you're just what, – what happened with Tua and Mac Jones is rare. It's a very rare thing to happen. And so the portal becomes a necessity. You know, like uh, I don't, I hate the portal the way that it's currently constructed. I don't like it. I'd, I'd like to see it change. But here's the reality of it, and, and this is something that we had talked about when it first came in. I hate it because I think it's bad for the game. It's been great for Notre Dame. Could you imagine what Notre Dame's record would have been in 2021 if the trans if 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 you could if there wasn't the rule about grad transfers being able to transfer right away and play right away, and Jack Cohn couldn't come and play right away? Now that was before the whole portal, the current portal stuff got crazy. But it used to be where even if you had graduated, if you had any eligibility left, you still had to sit out a year. Could you imagine if that wasn't true for for Jack for Jack Cohn in 21? That'd have been a rough year. Could you imagine what we'd be looking at this football team right now if there was no Sam Hartman and Thomas Harper and Javante Jean-Baptiste and Antonio Carter? We'd be a little nervous right now about certain things. But, yeah, there's potential, but. Yeah, Tyler Buckner could be good, but. You know, what about the injuries? What about this? What about that? I'd be a lot less fired up about this football team. So I think the transfer portal has been good for Notre Dame. I really do. And yeah, they've lost some guys too, but they've added a lot more than they've lost to the portal. I mean, the only guy that you know, Buckner and Diggs, is about the only guys they really lost that, that I don't think you really would have preferred not to lose, in my opinion. So it, it, it's been a plus, a definitely a net plus, significant net plus for Notre Dame so far. Still don't like it, but uh, I think it's impacted the quarterback position the most. You're going to almost have to accept the portal as a reality at quarterback. Now, the question for Notre Dame, Mark. I want to see Notre Dame get to the point where then when they go to the portal, it's to find some kid that's okay coming in as a depth piece. Hey, you're you're here for protection if so if Kenny Minchie goes down or if CJ Carr goes down. I think that's what they're going to be looking for just to get your numbers where they need to be. And if you do get a second quarterback, it's going to be some lower ranked kid that's just a program guy that that's just a, gives you numbers and protection and and can run your scout team and stuff like that. You're not going to bring in CJ Carr and and let's just say um you know, Air Noland into a class or CJ, that's probably a bad example because they're both ranked really high, but you're not going to bring in CJ Carr and a guy ranked like 175th because the guy ranked 175th is going to be a starter. And if they, if he does come in, okay, fine. But then CJ shows that he's the dude and then that kid leaves to go somewhere else. Barring that kid being a Notre Dame legacy or a kid that just dreamed of going to Notre Dame his whole life and he's okay not being a starter for three years, this doesn't happen anymore. And uh, that's just the reality of where we are. Mitchell Carey said, uh, has a quote. Oops, I, Mitchell Carey, I just took your question down accidentally. I, I hit the star instead of uh, the other one. But uh, the question was basically with Blake Hebert committed somewhere else, uh, what are we thinking about uh, quarterbacks in 25? It's a long list of guys. I don't know what the priorities are. Bear Bachmeyer is a guy that I've heard whose name I've been, been told. Uh, we talked about We talked about this in a show about a week or two ago. Um, and, and, and I dove into a lot of different names. Carter Smith's another one. 
Obviously, Deuce is on there. I mean, they're going to keep grinding away on Bryce Underwood and George McIntyre. I don't see either one of those happening. I don't see either one of them having much interest in Notre Dame. The nice thing is, is it's a really good quarterback class. It, it really is. I mean, it's early yet, but I've seen a lot of depth at that position, and it's a lot like last year's class, in my opinion, because of that depth. So I don't. Again, I just don't think they need to panic. I, I, I really don't. Let let it play out. Let it let guys develop. Let guys step up. And if you don't get Deuce Knight, then stay on him for a while. See if you can maybe convince him to go somewhere else. But uh, you know, th- those are some of the names. Like I said. Uh, Carter Smith, uh, Bear Bachmeyer, Antoine Hill is a guy they're recruiting. I don't think they have much of a shot there, but they're recruiting him. You know, maybe they go after a Ryan Montgomery who's an Ohio kid. I, I don't know if, you know, if Ohio State's going to take him or not. There's another kid who I haven't seen from Ohio that Ohio State offered recently, uh, Tavion St. Clair. I haven't watched him. I don't know if he's a good player or not. But, you know, he'd be a guy to, to kind of keep into consideration. I, I know they went down and saw Luke Nickel a kid from Georgia during the spring, he's okay. But I also think that's going to be tough because he's Jack Nichols' little brother, and obviously that recruitment left some hard feelings with some people. So, it, it, guys, it's it's a really good quarterback class. Some kids that, that we don't know about now are going to emerge and break out as juniors. So if I was Notre Dame and I missed on Deuce Knight, I'd just keep recruiting him and then and then spend some time developing uh, that class. That's That's pretty much what I would do. If I was them, that that'd be my two. That'd be my advice to them if they cared and they don't. So we'll see what they will do. Ray Holcraft says of the three big of the big three big opponents this season, which in your opinion is the most important to win to raise the perception of the program, and which of the other opponents poses the biggest challenge? I think that's an easy one, honestly. It's look, they're all important, right? And you can't beat Ohio State and then get your butt kicked by USC and and Clemson and move the needle, right? So you've got to win at least two of those three. Of those three, I think the game that that has the biggest impact on where Notre Dame will be – how Notre Dame will be perceived is Ohio State for a couple reasons. Number one, I think Ohio State is considered one of the big boys, right? Like they've won a title in the last 10 years. They won in 2014. They've been in the college football playoff <clears throat> 16. Excuse me. Give me a second, folks. I've just had some <clears> – <throat> Had something come in my throat. I apologize. They won it in 14, made the playoff in 16, made the playoff again in 19, made it in 20, made it in 22, took George down to the wire. They're always in the top three to five in recruiting. They're considered a powerhouse program right now, and rightfully so. I mean, I I even shouldn't use air quotes there. They, They are. They're a powerhouse program. They've dominated the Big Ten for the most part. Now, Michigan's gaining on them, obviously. You know, but they've got a title. They've got multiple playoff appearances. They've got multiple championship game appearances. And and they've produced a ton of NFL players. If you can go out and beat that team and look good doing it. Now, looking good doing it doesn't mean you have to win by 30. Look good doing it means even if you win by field goal, you played really well. And, and you outplayed them. It isn't a game where, you know, Ohio State – gave you 14 points because their quarterback just dropped the ball. You didn't really do anything. He just dropped the ball. You recovered at the eight-yard line. It's not like that. It's like if you're going to get the ball at the eight-yard line, it's because your edge rusher came screaming off the edge, beat their left tackle, had a strip sack, you know, where you're you're playing well. So even if you only win 31 to 28, 31, 27, 24, 21, you watch that game, you're like, man, they, they played really well that game. Not like G. Ohio State just laid an egg, and if you play them again in the postseason, they're going to kick your butt. 
not like the Clemson game in 2020 where, yeah, you beat them in overtime and you look good doing it, but they were missing their starting quarterback, their three best defensive players. There's all these excuses. It's just got to be a game where you look back and you say they were the better team that day. And that would be the biggest thing for Notre Dame. That would be the one that if you can then build on it by winning one of the next two over Clemson and USC, it, it really moves the needle. And if somehow you win all three, that's the that's the giant leap that Notre Dame takes from a perception standpoint, even if they don't necessarily do even better in the postseason. You will have finally got some of those big wins off your back. Because I'll say this, as a program, Clemson is still ahead of Notre Dame right now. Because I still view the 18 championship and the 16 championship as mattering. They played in the 19 title game. They've put put a lot of kids in the NFL. They they've beaten Notre Dame in the two games that matter. Now Notre Dame's beaten them the last two times in the regular season. Notre Dame is two and one against Clemson in the in, in the last 10 years in the regular season. They're 0 and two in the postseason. So you still need to get that postseason win. But if you can go down to Clemson this year, beat them at Clemson, and now you're three and one in your last four games against them, I think you can say you've surpassed them as a program, unless they go out and win a title still this year. So I, I think that's true. You, you can't say that about Ohio State, but it definitely closes the gap on the two programs from a perception standpoint. And so that's why I think those games are big. Now, to the second part, which of the other opponents poses the biggest challenge? I think the team that concerns me the most is probably this is going to sound crazy to some of you. It's probably Duke. It, it, if I were to rank the next four that I'm concerned about, it would be Duke, NC State, Louisville, and Pitt. And the reason I say that is you get Pitt at home, and everybody talks about Pitt plays Notre Dame tough. They do, but Notre Dame still wins all those games. It's not like Pitt plays them tough and beats them. You know, Pitt, Pitt and Notre Dame play tough games, but Notre Dame always wins them. And so I'm just not as concerned about Pitt. I, I look at their team. It's a home game. I look at their team. They don't match up as well against Notre Dame as some of these other teams. Now, you know, maybe Jerkovic could go out there and win. But, like, look, it, it, Brian Kelly against Pitt was 6-1. and one, And the only year they lost was the 2013 loss in the game where I think they got completely screwed and choked away the second half. And, you know, your last two games, two of your two of your last three wins weren't even competitive. I mean, in 2020, they absolutely wiped them floor with Pitt. And then 2015, it was 42-30, but it wasn't that close. Pitt scored the last like two touchdowns. It was it was a blowout. So I, I'm just not as worried about Pitt. Duke, the reason Duke concerns me is this, and it's all for different reasons. Duke concerns me because I think Mike Elko is a phenomenal coach. I do. And I didn't know what kind of head coach he would be, just because you never know until a guy does it. I think he did a great job his first year at Duke. Took a three and nine team and they won nine games and they were close to winning a couple others. They played Kansas tough. They should have beat Georgia Tech. They've got a quarterback that can make a lot of plays, can make plays with his legs. They've got skill on the perimeter. If Notre Dame can't dominate the trenches, Duke becomes a concern for me. I always get concerned about a team that has a quarterback that can make a lot of plays. And, and Riley Leonard's only going to get better, in my opinion. So they're the number one concern. Plus, the placement of that game, it's a week after Ohio State. So let's say the Notre Dame does beat Ohio State. It's going to be hard for them to match that level of intensity the next week when they head down to Durham to play Duke. It is. And so for me, my hope and my prayer is that when you when you look at Notre Dame's uh, opponents this year, your hope is, is that those teams win early. And when you look at like Duke, for example, uh, you know their, their schedule is they play Clemson in the opener, 
Then they play Lafayette. Then they play Northwestern. I have no idea what my voice is cracked. Then they play UConn. So the hope is, is that if even if they lose to Clemson, that they're still three and one. If they're three and one coming into that Notre Dame game, Notre Dame's going to have to take them seriously to a degree. And if they play Clemson tough, like it, perfect world, they play Clemson tough. I don't want them to beat Clemson because I want Clemson to be ranked really high when Notre Dame plays in November. Um, when they when they play Clemson or you know play Clemson tough, then win your next three games and you're three and one against them. That that that's my hope uh, for that game. And, and, uh, then the next game to me is, uh, I look at NC state's number two reason why I love Tony Gibson as a defensive coordinator. He does some, I would never hire him at Notre Dame. Cause I don't like, I personally don't like that style. I think he's great at doing it. I think he's got some talent on defense to work with. It's a, it's a really odd kind of blitz all over scheme. Uh, they, they don't watch well, just say blitz because they don't bring like a bunch of overloads, but they'll bring guys from all over. It's a 3-3 type of defense. They've got some athletes to work with. And he's had some success against Sam Hartman in the last couple of years. So they beat uh, they beat Wake, beat Wake Forest last year uh, in 2021, uh, sort of like convincingly. Uh, the year before, Sam Hartman had some success uh, against Wake Forest in 2021, a game that they won 45-42. Uh, this year against Wake Forest, Sam went 29 of 20, 48 for uh, 397 yards, but he threw three picks because, again, he does a lot of different things. One of them was just he dropped the guy right underneath, and Sam just just didn't see it. In 2021, Sam was 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 uh, had made some big plays. They won the game 45-42, but, again, 290 yards and three picks. And so you, you look at it and say, boy, he's, he hasn't had great success against them, so there's that. Now, of course, a lot of better town around them that concerns me a little bit louisville with jeff brom they're gonna have athletes i don't know they're gonna be a quarterback that's right sandwiched in between ohio state and and usc so i'm not sure how that's gonna be and then and then pitt somebody in the chat said that pitt's better than duke agree to disagree uh pitt beat duke last year by two points at pitt uh and duke has almost everybody coming back this year so i i don't agree that pitt's better than duke and i but here's the point even if they are that doesn't matter. Football is a game of matchups. How do we match up against you? And Notre Dame for years, including last year's, had issues with mobile quarterbacks. And Riley Leonard is a mobile quarterback. And, and the recipe for upsetting a team like Notre Dame, if they're actually good, is can you score? Like when Pitt beat uh, Clemson in 2016, that was a Pitt team that could score. And I don't view this pit team as, as being like that. We've seen Notre Dame go against this offense before in 2020. Uh, and Signetti's team in 2020 was not able to really do a lot against Notre Dame. And the, some of the plays they did make that year uh, were just Phil Jerkovic making just crazy plays. Uh, Notre Dame largely shut them down in that game. And, uh, and, uh, and then they got some yards late. It was a pretty blowout win and i think this Notre Dame team has more talent than that team did so we've seen them thrive we've seen them thrive against that that offense you know we'll, we'll see what pitt's defense is going to be this year they had some big losses on defense this past season so i just don't think they're going to be better than duke but even if they are it's about the matchup and i'm much more concerned about what riley leonard and that offense brings to the table than what we're going to see from pitt schematic even if phil jacobic is good it's just schematically not a scheme that that I think Matt gives Notre Dame the same type of matchup problems that you're going that you're going to face when you when you uh, when you face BC in 2020. 
with Zay Flowers and those kind of guys. That was a really good receiving core at BC that year. And with what Duke has, Duke's got some really good athletes coming back, in my opinion. And they're going into year two of Mike to Elko's tenure, not year one. So I think that's going to help them as well. So we'll see how it all plays out. That's going to do it for today's show, everybody. I want to thank uh, I want to thank everybody very very much for your uh, being with us today, joining us here on this uh, this uh, good day, Nate, no, big day for Notre Dame, right? Kid Nate Roberts in the class, another second now twenty twenty five kid joins Davion Dixon in the class, big pickup for Notre Dame, huge pickup for Jared Parker who had a big role in this. Uh, before you go, folks, do me a little a little solid, hit that like button for us. I would appreciate that very very much, and if you could join the message board. We got a lot of conversation going on. Would love to have more of you on there. If you're just if you're not someone who likes to be on a message board but you want to support our breakdown, you can still sign up. There's no mandatory you have to be on X amount of times. You can still sign up to support us. We would greatly appreciate that as well, but we'd also enjoy the conversation. And uh it, it's a it's a fun board. So I would love to see y'all sign up and um I I was going to joke with you making a Father's Day present, but I'm not a father. I'm a I'm a dog dad, I guess. You could say that. So you could sign up and wish me a happy uh doggy Father's Day, I guess. Uh for that one as well. I'm just giving you our time. But anyway, appreciate y'all being with us so much. Have a great rest of your Saturday. I got a fun day planned. I'm looking forward to it. Uh y'all stay safe for you fathers out there again. Happy Father's Day. Uh, enjoy your day tomorrow. We appreciate y'all very, very much. And we'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.